Welcome to Collector's Quest. This is episode 121. And on this one, Stefan, Tyler, and I, we get a little philosophical. It's kind of a follow-up to the previous episode where we talk about the shift in the hobby right now. We try to imagine what's going to happen. We weigh in with our thoughts a little bit. And it's more of a roundtable discussion where we're just talking about how we feel about the current goings-on rather than saying what happened. We, we talk about uh, kind of our feeling about it. Anyways, that's it. Stay tuned. And remember, if you like what we're doing and you like the show, you can help us out best by just going to iTunes or wherever you review podcasts and giving us a quick review. Thanks and stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Collector's Quest. I'm Tyler, here with Johnny, here with Stefan. Hey guys, what's going on? We definitely didn't get 15 minutes into a show, decide it was terrible, and just restarted. I am having a fantastic day, let me just tell you. Best day ever. Oh, oh this is uh, not going to go well again. Why, why do you always... When we make a mistake, why do you always? This like, was, by the way, guys. By, we made a terrible mistake. This is and by it was far garbage. the longest we've ever <laughs> recorded, and then just dumped it. We we almost never do that. I remember like one other time we've done that. This was 15 yeah. minutes in, and we're like, "This show's bad, guys." I will yeah. give the listeners a secret. There are two episodes that, after recording and after I went to edit them, I just put them in the trash and never aired them. I was like, "Nope, those will never see anything ever again." Just light them on fire. So. Johnny also Johnny also gets mad at us if we're too self-deprecating about the podcast. He's like, hey, knock that off. And then we start over. Okay, I'm latching on to that because Johnny made a comment on Instagram like, oh, it's probably better if you skip this episode or something to someone. I, and I, I was just thinking if that. I had said that, Johnny would have yelled at me. I don't. I don't yell at you guys. Everyone thinks I'm so mean to you guys. <laughs> okay. I'm like, they're what? Largely right, 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 complimentary. Right, right. And I always say you guys do a good job. I always thank you guys. But everyone's like, he is so mean to them. There, How did there that was guy that, get so mean? There was that one where like even Carly called you out, I think, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe I was like mean one time. <laughs> I mean, it happens, right? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not the cuddliest te- teddy bear all the time. But... You guys know, in general, I think you guys do a great job. I'm very positive. I am thankful for you guys. I usually show appreciation. I do a good job on that part. So, But people are like, he's really mean to them. They don't understand uh, that some of it is our is our banter and our wordplay between each other. They know it's a joke. We are joking. We do that. Anyways. And in general, we do do a good job. But today. <laughs> today was not that, was day. Not that day. Today. <laughs> And I lay the blame at no one in particular's feet. It uh, it was a three-way street here uh, and without a stop sign. And we all just collided right in the middle and made a mess. So today's episode, we're kind of piggybacking off, off of what we talked about last time. We talked about, hey, what do we think the current state of the hobby is? And I bored you with some ranting. And then when you thought I was done, I continued. But I wasn't done. I kept going. And now here we are at this episode to talk about some of the stuff that Tyler didn't get to and actually I thought would be better as its own episode. Because we're going to predict what's going on now in gaming. We talked about what we think the state is, and now we're saying, okay, we're looking at the future, we're putting on our swami hats, and we're saying, what do we think is going to happen? 
And we have some evidence as to why we believe these things. So typically, and Tyler, you can fill us in here, back in the early days, how did the very early days, take us back, give us some dates, how was uh, value assigned to games? Uh, So value used to be, at least in my experience, so I started collecting in 2005, Johnny started in 2004. And in my experience back then, uh, nearly... Everyone was going for sets, especially NES sets. And the value of a game was almost 100% determined by how rare it was. I have I have a question before we move on. As sure. someone who who has not was not collecting back then and and we don't we don't talk about when I started collecting cuz people yell at me. You say that that value was established by rarity. Back then, how was rarity established? Was it just like like first person encounter of like this is you know I just don't see this game very much like how where were the was, metrics for actual rarity coming it from? was community sourced and digit press back then had a rarity guide so a lot of people just took that as bible when when I came in and tower came in we talked about this last episode digit press and the digit press book was like oh my god they have a rarity scale that's the stuff that's going and what I used to do with that book is target games that were in there that had a high rarity but weren't yet expensive. So I would buy those because I figured most games, like demand was part of the equation, but it wasn't most of it yet. Rarity was still like the the thing that drove it the highest. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get in there and then eventually demand will catch up and I will be ahead of the curve. That's still a pretty solid strategy. Like I, if I'm doing that, like for Atari games or whatever game some obscure console that doesn't have its own website like the digipress rarity guide is fine i agree i also i used to use it as a bible i was new to the hobby so i just assumed like oh these guys who have been here forever they already know everything and here it all is but uh they have a book how could they be wrong right they printed a book no i was in i was in the same boat and it is still a a good way to get out ahead of any system right though the landscape has changed quite a bit and i don't know how effective people can be on that anymore but it's an effective strategy it's a strategy that we at collector's quest had talked about before but let's let's go back to um pre-stefan's question did we answer enough stefan or is that like yeah 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 okay um what like 2005 take us into the mind of a nintendo collector what was happening on digipress atari age and then eventually Nintendo Age in like 2005 through 7. Like, what were the games people were talking about? The games that I'm remembering people talking about are especially the Panesians. So those were three mail-order porn games on the NES, all incredibly rare among the rarest unlicensed games. Uh, Cheetah Men 2, obviously never released, just kind of found in a warehouse. Caltron 6-in-1, which at the time was super rare. Uh, we found a whole bunch of copies in Mexico, no longer that rare. And then, you know, Myriad 6-in-1. Uh, almost everything I could think of was unlicensed. Um, I knew Flintstones too. Flintstones too is the other big one. Uh, you know, I maybe I'm just an. A- I'll censor that. But I honestly, I don't remember people being like as crazy about Little Samson and Flintstones too back then. No, but, Little Samson's wasn't there yet. Okay, but Flintstones too was in earlier than Little Samson because Little Samson didn't flip until about 2009, 2010. And then also Flintstones 2 was even rarer back then because we didn't have like South American copies filtering up to North America. And now we know they're yep. the same. Yep. Was there, was, just out of curiosity, was there a time where stadium events just wasn't on the radar as a rare game? Like, was it 
all or was it always like back then was it still the like outlier like yes obviously they were all less expensive but it was it still the really expensive one it was still an outlier so it was still very expensive because i remember i got offered a complete in box when i think for like between three and five thousand dollars back then and turning it down i remember on uh the mike etler list it's like a b plus or something i'm looking it up right now it like there's if you go back that far like i obviously don't remember that far back but I don't know how much of a thing it was back then. It's a B. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like coming in from where I came in, it was like already established like that. And the NWC were like kind of already the pinnacle. And then there was, there was a lot more obsession with unlicensed game ba- games back then. I think because Nintendo games were a lot easier to get a hold of because there was less people collecting. So these guys were filling out sets rather quickly. So it was a race to get like, what was the weird stuff that no one else had? Thus Panesians, Caltrons, all this unlicensed stuff started coming out of the woodwork. Like in the nineties, you could probably find games that like people didn't even know existed. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, mean, I remember with Genesis, in, it still happened in the two thousands. So I remember like 2005 Steam events was definitely already hot. Shit. Um, I remember it. I, the first time I remember like really being invested in stadium events was I was watching an auction live on eBay and the cart ended for $200. And I'm like, that person is absolutely out of their mind. What are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, also just, just to get the current, the mood of 2005, some of my favorite threads were uh, on digit press. It was just post your R tens or post your R eights and above meaning rarity eight rarity 10 because people didn't care about well I'm, I'm sure someone cared about like your black box set back then but the thing people wanted to see in your collection is show me something that other people don't have and that is kind of the thing i think is probably flipping a bit or at least shifting now it's not really flipping on his head right well no it it, it shifted quite a bit and i think Actually, I think that came about before we got here. I think once we got to like, kind of, I'll just call it the Instagram age of collecting. They Instagram does not care about your Outback Joey's. It does. It might care about a porn game because that's funny, but it definitely doesn't care about Cheetah Man too. You know, no one cares about that. So you toss that up, you're gonna get zero likes. You tossed Mario three up, a million people found you. So that's when you could see that the Axis. Axis, that one had like the demand was becoming way, way more important. But that's like you don't get that until like 2014, 2015. Uh, in between there, though, you have these spikes, 2009 ish is like a good area. You know, it's a little that's a little post recession or like right after the worst part of the bottoming out, like after 2007. And demand starts to drive more. And rarity is still important, but they are they are both good drivers now. Rarity isn't the sole dominator. You agree to that, guys? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, we haven't mentioned it on this recording of the show, but uh, very obviously and importantly, it's one of the things that's really solidifying video games as a an investment hobby. Like it or not, it's something that did it. Uh, the most expensive game publicly sold now is Super Mario Brothers and not Stadium Events. Stadium Events being a game for weirdos that'll show up in headlines if it becomes the most expensive sale ever. But your mom's going to look at that and be like, I, that, you know, it's not going to grab her attention if she sees, oh, Super Mario Brothers sold for $100,000. Huh. I know what that is. Yeah. So now we have before well, that's what we're talking about before we're talking about it was just rarity 
and it was just demand driving prices. Now we have something different. Uh, as investors come in, we have this, instead of this two dimension, now we can open it up to like a three dimensional space here and you can start to look at other things that are becoming important. The importance of the game. So moving into the world of like, you know, uh, the, the comic people are here. So saying things like, oh, this is a key game. Super Mario is important. So the importance now of a thing is driving a price. Back in the day, you just had Mario Brothers. If it had a sticker on it, I guess cool. Like, oh, that one's, oh, yeah, that's like a first print one. But no one gave a shit about first prints. Maybe a few people, and then they like, people started to check for how many screws a game had and if it had a hang tap. They got into this a little bit, and it affected the price only to a very small few, and that wasn't very public. But now we can see that a whole lot of money has been thrown at, at this direction. So it is now a, a prime driver. So now we have three big areas, I would call them, driving the price of games. And that's the new world we're in. And that's kind of what we want to talk about is from there, knowing this, how do we think it's going to go in collecting? What are we going to, what are we going to see? So we're going to put on our hats, you know, we're going to, we're going to touch our foreheads. We're going to like rub some crystals and we're going to make predictions. Cool. Johnny, set collecting's dead. Set collecting's dead? Set collecting's dead. Stefan, is set collecting dead? I hope not. Did you stop collecting sets? <laughs> yes, right now. It's over? I mean, you haven't been going for sets. You have a bunch of sets you're in the middle of, but what have you been buying, Stefan? Uh, nothing to do with games. Nothing to do with, well, I mean. I mean, like physical, like video games. You're yeah, not putting I ha- your I have Nintendo not, tapes in yeah, a toaster. I have, not, I have not purchased a Nintendo tape in a while. That is correct. I think Tyler is uh, our poster child. Tyler, how are you collecting right now? Well, I'm. I've been seeing the past couple months, and I've. What is the thing I've been most interested in? Like, I really want to get all the Sega Genesis manuals because that's the the set I need to complete right now. Um, but I've completely dropped everything dead, and I'm just going for Nintendo cardboard, uh, especially like you know, big name games because I think those will go up in price the most. Nintendo is both Marvel and DC of the video game world. I say that a lot because Sega doesn't freaking matter. Sorry, Johnny. To hurt your feelings. I mean, Super Nintendo is my favorite set. I don't know. I own a bunch of Nintendo games. Why would that hurt my feelings? Uh, Because I'm pretty sure uh, you maybe own every Sega game ever made? Almost. Okay. Well... Missing some Game Gear ones. So, let me tell you about when I started collecting comics. I am not big into comics at all, but... I imagine my experience was the same as a lot of other people. I got into collecting comics. Like, I had a job. I had some money. And, you know, I bought a short box of a bunch of random comics that I thought would be cool to read. And then I went online and I saw that almost every single comic from, like, 1980 through present day is, like, a dollar. And then there are, like, the good issues and the things that actually matter you know, might be $4. And then there's like all these like random spikes and those comics are worth like $2,000. So what I did is I bought like every comic I could get my hands on because I was, you know, a dollar versus $2,000. What am I going to do? I was putting together runs of comics that didn't matter. I was essentially set collecting uh, in comics, but I very quickly, I ran out of space. I couldn't read everything. And, you know, I couldn't take any joy in my collection 
And I just I just sold it all off. And I, I took a loss, even though I spent a dollar on all these books, I probably sold it for like a quarter of the price. And I feel like people who have already been through that, that are getting into video games, I see them on Instagram because I, I make a point to try to follow every comic collector who is getting into games. And I'm not trying to speak for these people because, you know, I, I, I'm seeing a very small number of them. But, uh, you know, they'll have like a shelf and they'll have like a couple dozen super nice games on it because they know that your comic collection, any collection, is not defined by the bulk. It's defined by the key pieces. And that's all they want. Well, I mean, to be fair, that is what we've been telling people to do. We've been telling people for, for as long as you've been on the podcast, at least don't collect sets. That's incorrect. Do not do this. Buy the good stuff and leave the chaff alone, right? Uh, we'll buy the good stuff. Buy what you'll actually like if your collection is worth zero dollars, I think is the important thing. Uh, really funny yeah. kind of anecdote. Um, one upped who's one of these like super crazy sealed guys. I think he has a sealed black box set. If not, he has close to it. Uh, he posted a picture of it and it was like, man, this was a lot of work. Kind of wish I just went for games I liked instead. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's uh, that's the world we live in. And now, like, it's it's weird because we said go, you know, avoid the chaff, go for the good stuff. But now the idea of what the good stuff is is kind of changing, too, because, like we said, I, I have to pull back on rarity being as important it was. Like, rarity is now the least important it's ever been as far as value, right? Except for in cases... It's not where, unimportant, but yeah, it's definitely the least no, important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in cases where it is important and also very rare, that's when you see the wild spikes, right? When you see, uh, and then demand, that's like why you got the $100,000 Mario, right? Because it was very rare. It is very important. And there is a bunch of demand. So that was like the, you know, the trifecta. So we hit there. We're, we're going into a world, though, where I think hype can build a, a lot of, of runs, on this whole stuff. Are you guys worried about the hype factor coming out about how important a game is if it isn't? Because, Tyler, you brought up this example in the previous non-recording, Tengen Tetris. Once upon a time, when people were a little less organized and the internet was a little newer and we didn't know as much as we do now, Tengen Tetris was a game that people were obsessed with. They thought it was rare. They thought it was expensive. You can get it now for much cheaper than you could in like 2003 it was like well over a hundred dollars back then and that's 2003 money and now it's probably less than a hundred dollars so are you guys worried about hype like that coming at games just because people think they're important uh uh not for me um i mean i'm i'm worried for those people I'm yeah worried, i'm not for you, know? you like we we have what we have we have a lot of stuff so i'm i'm the collective we are you worried for us as collectors. Yeah, I mean, I think I think right now there's so much scramble going on right now that people are just like buying up like like games that wouldn't even like I wouldn't even think of as to like want to to seek out sealed are like, you know, people are like, "Oh my god, this is such a rare gem that I found this sealed." And I think like any right now there's just this like weird like where if you find anything sealed, it's like some crazy rare gem. And I, so I think there's going to be a bunch of shifting around as to what ends up being genuinely sought after uh, after this kind of first wave. And because uh, I think I think you're just going to have a, a whole lot of graded games that no one gives a shit about at the end of the day. That'll and, be good data for Go Collect, though. 
Yeah, and there'll be, and there'll be some unfortunate unfortunate people who paid you know five thousand dollars on Heritage for some game that turns out you know is not nearly as sought after or important as they thought it was at the time. And I think I think a lot of that also has to do with the fact that the people who are throwing around money are not stopping to do a whole lot of research. And so they're just buying, 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 and hopefully that will level out for them, and hopefully they'll they'll have a, you know a positive ROI at the end of this. But I think I, it's going to be a gamble for those people. So I'll and say ta- I'll oh, say that I enjoy the hype and I enjoy the big swings. Like e- even before this, Earthbound, I love watching people argue about Earthbound because it's literally some people's favorite Super Nintendo game. And some people will just scream their heads off about how it's not as rare as you think it is, as if that's the only thing that matters. And obviously the kind of truth on the rarity versus value there is somewhere in the middle. But what I want to see is what I want to see. What I, I think will be fun to watch. I want to see the comic idea of speculation hit video games. And I want people to start ascribing false importance to video games. So what I want to see... I want to go on my Instagram feed. I want to see somebody who bought 40 copies of Where's Waldo. And then all they do is they go to their YouTube channel and all their social media. And they're just talking about how Where's Waldo is an American and English icon. And this game has so much cultural value to us. I I don't know. I just kind of enjoy watching people try to hype up things because I already have my opinion on things like Where's Waldo. It's a bad game and it has no importance. And no matter who in the future tries to convince people that it has importance, that is going to be a worthless game to me. But I just kind of, I want to see what happens. No, I I was actually just going to ask you, are you worried about people ascribing false importance to games, like putting hype on that level? Because we're going to see hype on all three of these axes, right? So that's like, people are going to start as the, as the money comes in right now, People are pushing all of these, and I think importance is the easiest one to kind of manipulate right now. So uh, you just spoke on that tower. Do you have any thoughts on that, Stefan? I was just thinking that I I just I hope people aren't betting so hard now that they wouldn't be able to personally sustain a loss, right? Like I just I I, I envision like people you know, betting so hard that they're like cashing out, you know, retirement plans and stuff to get into this on this level. And they're buying their, you know, $10,000, uh, you know, uh, not for resale halos and then having the bottom drop out and then people being in genuine trouble. Um, I don't know that that has anything to do with the topic, but that's what I was thinking about the whole time I was listening to Tyler talk. (laughs) No, you can, you you can feel a sense of dread for those people because there's definitely going to be I hope not many, but there will definitely be a few. I'm sure we'll hear some horror stories down the line. Um, so Johnny, you can about- only hear horror stories if the price goes down. Yeah. And this is this is common with uh, cryptocurrency in like 2017 or magic cards forever. Uh, you'll have people talking about their speculation, their investments. And no matter what, if you invested in anything in magic and you were talking about how it was a great investment you seem like a genius two years later because everything in magic has always gone up and never comes crashing down but theoretically if there's a recession or depression that's when everyone starts looking stupid but sorry go on to whatever you were gonna say no i was gonna that that's a fine example i mean i know a little bit too much about magic cards to uh, say that's a perfect example i would just argue over the minutiae let's not get into it 
given that we think that this is how things are happening, we think that there's this new axis that is, you know, coming to play that's affecting games, it's affecting the price of games. What do we see the future? You came out hard saying set collecting is dead. I so what does that mean? Lying about that. That was a joke. Is it dead? You don't think set collecting's dead? I don't think so. I mean, it's not like other hobbies people don't collect giant crazy sets. It's just going to be more financially prohibitive. So NES has stadium events and that's, you know, that's the bridge too far. People go for like 766 sets of NES. Some people are like, why would I bother collecting the NES set? I can't get stadium events. So if a game like Super Metroid and Super Mario RPG are all of a sudden worth $1,000 each, the concept of collecting every single Super Nintendo game, it won't just have one roadblock. It'll just be nothing but roadblocks. And if that's the case, rather than start a set that's essentially impossible to complete, it will become a lot more attractive to only collect the roadblocks, the key, the key games in the set, and for the same amount of money, have something that looks more attractive on a shelf. And I actually think that's the way it's going to go. I, I think set collecting um, is going to be marginalized. I mean, it's already pretty fringe, right? Uh, it was more prevalent and it has been getting less prevalent as games have just gotten more expensive. Now we're hitting like super prohibitive costs and people are like, I think we'll eventually just move away from Nintendo, like NES in general, because it'll be too expensive, except for a few of those keys. Like we talked about that they got, they can, you know, they'll put on their shelf. You'll see their Mario and their Zelda and they'll be like, look at those bad boys. I got them. Did it. I did the Nintendo thing. I don't know that I wholly agree here, Johnny. Um, I mean, I think I think right, it's still well, going to be. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> don't interrupt me, telling me to give you my take when I'm giving you my take. Jeez. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I think it is affected by sort of the the idea of lanes, like uh, like we talked about in the last podcast, where I just like obviously I don't think that that people who are doing like sealed graded games are going to now be like oh i need to get sealed graded sets like no one's gonna like the sealed graded set collector i don't even know do we have one like i don't know that there's that there's someone that's really saying like hey i need to get every nes game sealed and graded someone's out there there's no reason to pay twenty nine thousand dollars for donkey kong 3 unless you're going for like a sealed NES set, maybe a sealed hang tab set. Either way. No, they might be doing just a sealed black box. Yeah, or just a sealed expensive no, game set. Why do you, you know, need like, the you need the hang tab one for the black box set? I'm just I'm just saying that the that like this the set collectors are are again like not the same lanes, but I think that is that is its own little, you know, group over here. And I just don't know that that community is again a little bit insular and I just don't know how how many of them are looking at like the sealed graded stuff going on, you know, on the way on the other side of the hobby and going like, Oh, that's going to affect me. Or that affects my like willingness to collect sets. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see that correlation. See, I, I, I disagree with you. Obviously I do think you are correct though. Uh, in the idea of lanes, I think you will still have a lot of set collectors, who maybe do cart only stuff like we've already seen that be an avenue that a lot of collectors take now against the prices. But I think, um, and, and maybe carts will always just be like, maybe we'll hit this point where carts will always just be so far below what, you know, fully complete games are that, you know, it, that's going to be the avenue people have to take, but I don't see people 
like doing first print sets, all hang tab sets, and a, a bunch of graded stuff anymore. I don't think that's going to be done. I think uh, most of these games, like, I just don't see anyone spending big dollars on Days of Thunder. I just don't think it's important enough. And I think people are going to go, who cares about Days of Thunder? I don't care if Tom Cruise's face is on it. That's not a game worth collecting. Here's the important stuff. That's why I think that it's just that idea of importance is just going to drive uh, a whole new avenue of shutting down set collecting, except for certain people. And you, you've seen a lot of set collectors already get out and like piecemeal their collections. But those those pieces didn't go to like really other set collectors. A lot of them just got distributed, you know, on mass to the populace. It didn't like one person just didn't pick it up. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't like those arguments because if, if he's selling Romance of the Three Kingdoms two, a game nobody's playing, yeah, you one guy, you're playing it. Everyone just needs that to complete a set. But every time you're selling that game, you're essentially selling it to another set collector. No matter what, Romance of the Three Kingdoms two is just a set collection game. That's not so true. when people say like, oh, the collectors are selling off their games, like, yeah, okay, they're selling it to other collectors. Okay, but the, a lot of it, and we talk about the value, right? Um, collectors buy things with perceived values. You talked about this in the last episode. So they buy these other things that are less important that they hope go up a little bit so they can flip and then build from there. Like, I think a lot of these games look like stepping stones, unless you're like us, and we're just like, I don't need stepping stones, I want a rock garden. So I'm just going to put them all here and look at them. So well, who are you saying is buying Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2? Well, you know, the, that's of a particular publisher, which makes it more collector th- collectible than, say, Days of Thunder or something like that. So, you know, if you want to talk about Caveman Games or something, maybe the guy buying Caveman Games is the person who's into all the Data East titles because they have some nostalgia for that. There, There are games definitely no one cares about that people, though, because it's still a game, it has a certain amount of value. And if they can get it for a low enough cost, they believe they can flip it upwards. That that it has some trajectory moving up that can get them to bigger and better things. So I think a lot of people might buy it for that. Um, but, you know, I, I think if you look at, like, PlayStation, uh, a game, you know, where people don't care about the middle and the nothingness of that system at all, just everything just sits there. It never sells on eBay. You know, only one or two are selling, and that's for, you know, outlier set collectors or someone who's got a particular amount of nostalgia or wants to play it. All right. I think that the speculation people who are buying things like that to flip, obviously there's some of that going on. I don't think that we're really hitting as bad as it could be like you can't go on youtube i bet you can't find the top 10 video games to buy right now before they get up in value or things like that oh now there'll be a video (laughs) the retro gem miner is recommending that you buy adventures in the magic kingdom guys it's part of the capcom set you have to own this game it's going to be worth a hundred dollars if you're listening to this in 2057 and that game's worth like 250 dollars well congratulations that joke doesn't work see i i you made a joke there but we talked about this earlier i think that's the way people should be like maybe look if you are looking to speculate if you're looking at what you should buy and this is what we're talking about on our predictions that's like my that's like my big one is that's how you should be collecting if you want to collect sets it's going to be less about big sets more about subsets so pick up your capcom collections pick up your konami collections because people are going to be like oh 
I, I finished the black box set. Where do I go from there? It's not going to be about I finished the NES set or the Super Nintendo set. They're going to like pull out these little sets and be like, yeah, okay, now what? Ooh, I think I'll move on to Ultra. Those are cool. Oh, and Taito. Those were like last print games, and those were kind of expensive. So I'm going to pick up uh, that stuff. And we've already seen collectors do that. I, I think that's where the money's going to go now. So I think games like Yonoid and Magic Kingdom are suddenly going to experience like you know, little price hikes. Games like Trojan, you know, people are going to want. Gunsmoke has, like, some weird revisions. Also, they they are early enough in the Nintendo cycle where you can see, you know, games in there that have hang tabs. Like, if you don't have your Castlevania hang tab, you should probably go get that right now. Do you see this that applying to sets outside of the Nintendo ecosystem? Or, like, do you think it's possible that, like, there will still be set collectors and they just won't be collecting Nintendo because the value delta will be so staggering because no one, quote-unquote, cares about the the unimportant platforms um, that, uh, that you'll still have the set collectors? They'll just look at, like, they'll gravitate towards Genesis Odyssey before, too. or Odyssey, or hmm. whatever. Get that Odyssey 2 hype out. That's right. Make you guys some money. Well, and, and Tyler and I almost touched about it just a, a sliver the other day when we were talking about how if, if somebody put up a sealed Power Lords, which is the expensive uh, Odyssey 2 game, uh, if someone put up a sealed Power Lords on, on Heritage, no one would care. I mean, I, I, I think I could see that where, you know, all of this importance and all this hype is just completely centered around the Nintendo ecosystem or stuff that's already prevalent for being super expensive, like um, Saturn or Turbo or something like that. Well, that's why I think if you key in on franchises and series, that's going to be a better way to do it. So I think when stuff starts to trickle out and Nintendo gets too expensive, that's where that's where you're going to see. People are going to move on to Super Nintendo so that, you know, that might get absorbed next into like the big Nintendo sealed craze, but I, I don't know. I think most of it will be centered around Nintendo, but I can see it moving to Super Nintendo. As far as will other will people still collect sets? I think they will, but like you got to remember, people don't just jump into video games and go, man, I think I want to be a video game collector. I'm going to start with Odyssey 2. That doesn't make a lot of sense unless they were young and had an Odyssey 2, right? What do they want to play? They want to look at characters they looked at. So it's going to be in the Nintendo world and nintendo is blessed by having these characters that have been with us since the nes and like you're going to start to see games on those other systems become important like what's the most important uh character that arrived with this uh, not the switch but the wii u the splatoon characters right so will that be a key like oh you you've got First all this appearance of splatoon stuff. girl y yeah exactly is that gonna be like a thing that happens now, I, I think it could be. But I don't think, I think people, yes, will move on to other Nintendo sets. And if if the bubble keeps pushing out, right, it'll push people out of those sets too. You know, just moving on a chronological wave, uh, pushing people until they're just like in the Wii and then it's, Wii is so untenable, no one is, like people don't want to collect. <laughs> you have to find a set that people don't want to have sets of. I bet right now you could get some stat if someone did start putting up uh, sealed games for things that like for instance turbo like because I think I think the the amount that people are spending 
on just using heritage as an example uh on nintendo games on heritage is is vastly outpassing outpacing their ability to learn about video games so um because i i would hazard to guess that 99 percent of the people who are dropping you know five thousand dollars on these any sealed nes games couldn't tell you what the rare game on turbo graphics is right so I wonder if this is the time, you know, as, as especially as WADA starts to open up their grading to things outside of Nintendo uh, or the Nintendo ecosystem. Um, I wonder if this is going to be the time to buy sealed things for platforms um, that are outside of Nintendo because those people driving that market right now are just not as educated as they need to be in order to to play in uh, sets that that are outliers. I mean, I would say only if it was an important an important game for a reason. Like, I wouldn't go buy Order of the Griffin sealed uh, for Turbo Graphics, even though I like Order of the Griffin. Right, but I'm just saying that, like, if Order of the Griffin sealed for Turbo came up on Heritage, I'd think it would probably go vastly under than what oh. it, than what it would you know, a year out or two years out when these collectors who have money have had time to actually learn about the hobby that they're dumping money into. Yeah, I, I don't see. I think I don't think a year is long enough for people to get on the turbo train, not for sure. Order of the Griffin. I think there are some, oh God, I hate even say it, some key games that people will focus <laughs> people on. People are going to say it eventually, uh, probably. I know, God, it just, I don't like it. But, um, you know, let's not be an old man about it. That's probably going to happen. It will be about important characters. And we saw that with Genesis collecting, too. So Nintendo and Super Nintendo were well on the rise in the middle of uh, the 2000s, 2000, uh, sorry, late 2000s, early 2010s, right? And Sega games were starting to bump up. But the ones that were bumping up, uh, were people were like, oh, I like shmups, so I'm, I'll get those. And, oh, I'll get some of the RPGs. Oh. And, like, while Sonic never, like, hit a, a high point because there's so many Sonics, but people started putting Sonics into their collection, right? So they started to buy important games. They started to identify key games that were you know important to the genesis landscape that uh made the prices of those games go up if you look if you dig up the graveyard that is sega age and you look in the collector's corner there you'll see games there's a whole thread about games that suddenly sold for how much it's like can't believe this game sold for this much thread and it's like a an ongoing thread and you can just see games like splatterhouse go from you know 30 and 50 dollar games to 100 150 dollar games complete so yeah i can see that same thing with like sealed stuff moving out and hitting key things like that but i don't think it'll ever be absorbed the way you know nes is but i think i mean even in nes i think some of the sealed stuff like you said it it's not gonna ever be worth anything what who cares about a sealed days of thunder so i think if we start seeing like turbo and saturn games on heritage i don't think that the kind of straw man heritage auction bidder that we always talk about i don't think they care about anything on turbo graphics i think turbo graphics has close to zero culturally relevant important games the closest thing i could think of is actually splatterhouse which is an arcade port, but whatever. We're in a world where the fact that things are arcade ports don't matter, because look at the black box games. What made an impact on Turbo Graphics besides Splatterhouse? Airzonk. 
Airzonk. Magical chase. Find find two people from your childhood who've played Airzonk. If you met uh, well, them through I'm game sorry. collecting, it doesn't. I'm sorry. Count. I said I I not Airzonk. Just Bonk. Bonk. Right? Yeah, Bonk's Bonk. adventure. Bonk will be the guy. Will He's he? the mascot. Yeah. yeah if, if anybody spends any money on Bonk or on a turbo game, it's going to be Bonk, right? Aside from Magical Chase. Like, if it ever reaches out. Because it's also a Nintendo game, too, right? So, and on Super Nintendo and on Game Boy. So, it kind of crosses ecosystems. But, yeah, Bonk would be the big one. All right. Right. Um, I could. There's a, a couple licensed characters that I could like. Darkwing Duck could like spike out of nowhere. Even though yeah, it's those people go for that kind of stuff. I I just don't think well, it, uh, nowhere near Nintendo, obviously. But even like Sega Saturn, a lot of collectors now, maybe newer collectors who are learning about things or who remember Saturn being an obscure console from the day, they'll look at Saturn and be like, "Man, Saturn's a cool console to collect." And, you know, they'll go get, like, Bug and Croc and Black Fire and all these games just to play on Saturn. Uh, I don't think... There's some Saturn games that are important, and I think people will go for that subset of uh, it'll be working like designs. Evil. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, like, working, working design designs Working designs and Sega. It'll Red- be, like, the yeah. two subsets of Saturn. But overall, I don't think... they'll. They're not going to be blinded by how sexy the Sega Saturn is to no, game no, collectors. No, no, I think that part... I agree. I think that part's dead. I think the the Turbo Graphics is the same way. Like the second most important Turbo Graphics game in terms of making an impact, I would say is Dracula X. I think that made a bigger impact on the current landscape of gaming today than Bonk's Adventure did, and it didn't even come out in America. Um, I well, I don't know if I agree with that, but I would say Dracula X is probably uh, in the realm of top three most important Turbo games as far as making a cultural impact. All right, so Rondo of Blood. I'm pretty sure it was on the Wii Virtual Console. It's been yeah. released on PSP. It's probably yeah. on PlayStation 4 now. When was the last time Bonk's Adventure was anywhere? It was it was on the Wii. Oh, okay. All right, it was on the Wii. Well, there we go. Yeah, they uh Turbo had a whole big section on the Wii that was like in the store. Remember the Wii store? You could sort it by console and go into like each individual console store. Like Blazing Lasers was there and uh Newtopia. There was a few Turbo games in there. I'm yeah, pretty I played, sure Bonk I'm pretty was sure there. I played my first Turbo Graphics games on the Wii. And that's where you could buy Rondo of Blood, by the way, to play it. I think Rondo was 900 points instead of the normal Turbo 600 yeah. points, so screw that. What, you think I'm going to spend three extra bucks to play one of the best games ever? Yeah, right, Nintendo. Yeah, speaking of which, um, just throwing this out there, Andrew, um, that's Hyrule Vice, uh, Drew over there. He put up a post today asking whether uh, what what game people thought was more important or want to play more of is Contra or Castlevania. What do you? What, where's your guys' take on that? This is just a fun aside because I was like Castlevania, and a bunch of people said Contra, and I did not understand those people. I'm I'm just better at Castlevania, so like uh, Contra, I am miserable at. So I I definitely would prefer Castlevania. Tyler. It's a hard question for me because I I remember playing Contra a lot as a kid and I didn't play Castlevania at all as a kid. I don't think I I don't even remember what my first Castlevania game was. I mean, I would pick Castlevania only because it's a challenging game and I find that more fun. Like Contra, I could blow through like nothing. I think I would probably say Contra's better game. Okay, maybe better. See, that's interesting. See, I I think Castlevania like hands down, but I also probably falsely attribute. The whole series, like as a series, I see Castlevania. I'm like, I would much rather have Castlevania, like as a series, than anything Contra. I just think it's a deeper, more interesting pool. So I, I think I attribute some of that in there as well. I Anyways, just, I, 
it's just what, a what's wrong side. with Contra? There's nothing wrong with Contra. It's like nothing. The Contra game. was a great game. It's a great game. It's a it's a, a copy just sold game. for three thousand dollars sealed. By the way, which it, honestly, yeah. it, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. The games that surprise me are games that sell in like garbage condition. Because even if you're speculating, what are you doing? Yes, um, I, I'm not surprised. Contra, look, Contra is an enduring, important game that people love. I'm not. I'm not sitting here telling people Contra sucks. Yeah. I played the shit out of Contra. So, anyways, um, all right, where are we going from here? What can uh, what can truly uh, what can be truly rare in games today? Uh, so, I wanted to talk about what can actually be rare because there comes a point. Uh, and this in modern comic collecting too, all of a sudden nobody throws anything away and a lot of people buy two books and, you know, like keep one in mint condition, things like that. Oh, I downloaded mine and then I would buy, I would oh. buy my book and then download it, uh, illegally, uh, or legally, I guess if I own the physical copy gray area, uh, but I would read it just on my computer or on my iPad and just seal my my comic and put it in the box well never yeah, open you, it you can't scratch off that digital download code because then all of a sudden your comic no. is incomplete <laughs> yeah the, gross the most genius thing uh, who did it first marvel i'm guessing they put in a digital download code that you're not allowed to use oh it's just the perfect non-value ad that seems like a value ad yeah, so, i hate that playstation the original playstation and gamecube Essentially, these games are always going to be complete and very frequently, aside from GameStop, in excellent shape, as long as GameStop didn't get a hold of them. Uh, with cardboard, it is so, so much harder to find a mint copy of a game. I think that there's got to be some kind of dividing line in the mid to late 90s where, you know, we exit the golden silver age. And then we enter the modern age where all of a sudden nothing matters unless it's dead mint. So things that I think are going to be real differentiators in terms of what's driving this value, uh, really, really nice cardboard. I think that's, that's pretty obvious. People go after sealed games. People go after certain variants like first prints. And then Stefan added in here, uh, outliers. Uh, so he put outback, Joey competition cards, stadium events, Things with like low known low quantities, right? Like obviously, if something was only produced in a thousand, then that's all you know. Unless unless the demand for it drops under, you know, unless unless there's there's all of a sudden less than you know a, a thousand people in the hobby, then um, then you're gonna have uh, some high demand issues. So I'm saying, what will be truly rare? Uh, because what where, what is going to cause the demand because people are going to still want to go after the rare stuff we're we're collectors we want the rare stuff but just because super mario brothers 3 is going to be a super hot game forever hey guess what super mario brothers 3 one of the best most important games ever made they made a movie about it that's how freaking cool it is uh even if that 9.8 copy of mario 3 uh sells for ten thousand dollars one day i still don't see you know, I have probably three complete copies of Mario 3 in this room. Those will probably be 40 bucks, 60 bucks forever. Maybe a little more, right? Uh, depends. Is one of those a left bro? I think I've got uh, two left bros here and a right bro. Okay, well, I think your left bros will be a little better. Well, that's because people are going crazy right now. Speaking well, and, and you said, you know, variants too. So left, even though right bros is the variant, left bros is... You know, uh, 
more de- more desirable to answer your question there. So, but I agree with you that like there there will be some differentiators, right? Disc based games are like especially PlayStation One. You can still get some hiccups, but like once you get to Xbox, like it's um it's your favorite thing, Tyler. It's a trough of no value there. So as everything's on Xbox has essentially no value, does that mean everyone's going to throw it away? And all of a sudden your copy of Outrun 2006 is going to be worth $500? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that'll happen. Because people are hoarders now. That's like what you were saying. Like, people are so loath to throw anything away because the idea that things could get value. Uh, people just can't put stuff in the trash. They would rather put it in their garage, pay for a storage space, do all these things incorrectly, uh, hoping that one day they don't lose some uh, minute value. I agree. And speaking of modern games, so I don't mean to alarm anybody, and maybe you can disagree. Like, 80% of modern games are just garbage. Like, actual just nothing, just dance, kids, two, let's do Zumba fitness. Like, is from like the Wii on maybe... There are people who are collecting those sets, and a lot of it is just like, this is cheap. Let me get all of them. Uh, That is definitely going to become like a space issue with people collecting games. It's going to be like when I bought every comic book because they're all a dollar. I'm like, well, it's got to be worth something. It's only a dollar. And it turned out I was wrong. Right. So that's when when we're looking at that. And like Stefan was saying, there's never going to be enough demand. And if there is, heaven help us. Where, you know, Just Dance Kids 2 is uh, hard to find. Sure. And then I think, I'm just saying this is something that will prevent people from collecting games of the modern era. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I agree. And uh, another thing is that uh, collecting every game no longer means you have every game. Because a lot of games are released digital only. Or they have big DLC components, big online components, patches, things like that. Um, so really from Xbox 360 on, I see almost no value in owning that physical media. Yeah, I, I agree. What, what do you think about that, Stefan? Um, I don't, I, when Tyler was saying, talking about all these games being garbage, I don't know that I, uh, I don't think that there's necessarily a larger percentage uh, of garbage on these than there ever has been. I think your personal tastes factor into it significantly. Um, but I, I don't see, um, I set collecting for modern consoles for me is, is more difficult for a different reason. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, the prevalence of big box special editions that were not a thing or much, much less of a thing, uh, for the generations that we're interested in collecting. Um, you know, I recently saw a photo of a guy who did, um, do a 360 full set with all of the big box special editions and it just looks like a fucking warehouse like there's no elegant way to display that collection and it just takes up an enormity of space so i think the the prevalence of collector's editions that really you know nothing nothing uh, ensures that something is not collectible than putting collector's edition on it and i think you mentioned this yes or the other day johnny the uh kind of gravitation towards people not wanting permanence yes. um i think i think those those especially um the the very large big boxes and there are a lot of them now you know it, it seems like every 
you know, every release practically gets a statue. I think that's going to make it very difficult for people to want to uh, collect uh, modern console. What we what what is currently con- uh, considered modern uh, in the future. Yeah, I mean, but you could theoretically do a set without the special editions because there was regular editions of all of these games, right? So you didn't have to buy that. I, I think. A lot of these games where they just made multiple version of the same game because oh here's the here's the complete edition here's the game of the year edition there's like four versions of it none of them are going to be worth anything like there you said you don't think there's more filler now I, I think there's definitely more filler now than maybe there was on uh, you know uh, N64 and back they're I don't, uh, they're like but, but how at much least we don't to- consider that filler because i i think kids back you know they they played there was less games to play so right. it doesn't seem like maybe the games are still garbage but they got played more because there was just less of them well and also it, put I, I think it's going to look like a lot more shovelware when you were looking at a set of 3000 versus a set of 300 sure but i mean that's not while I, you could talk about percentages, but it is real. You will have to buy, like maybe percent-wise you don't, but if you are collecting a set with 3,000 games in it, you will own more games that are filler. You will probably have 1,000 filler games in there, which is bigger than most big sets. That's No, that's fair. I think when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about percentages. Yeah. It, and yeah, it's It's both raw numbers, uh, but even going back to percentages, I, me, I, I shit on modern games all the time, but... Uh, <laughs> I could look at The Wizard of Oz on Super Nintendo, uh, an objectively pretty horrible game. And I still look at it and I'm like, wow, someone did all this pixel art. Wow, someone programmed all of this in assembly or C. And I look at some of these other games and I'm like, man, Wipeout on the Wii, someone just made this with like a game maker engine. This game is terrible. I feel like there's there's more super, super low budget stuff. But, you know, maybe I'm just I'm giving it a pass because I, I respect the people who put effort into the shovelware for the like 8-bit computers and stuff because I, I feel like even to put out shovelware on a computer you still have to have one nerd to put in that no effort and now i feel like anyone can do it but stefan's the actual guy who works in the game industry and also undeniably as we get more technologically advanced what is considered to be a good game takes so much more effort and so many more resources now than it did generations ago right so it's less people are making good games because you need to have a certain amount of not just talent but financial backing that just people it's it's difficult for people to have and yes there's there's the indie studios that do make good games and there are there are um you know, uh, outliers of that, and but but those people tend to be more rele- rele- relegated to the digital, right? So, but when you're talking about physical releases, I think it's much more challenging now to make a game that people consider good because our threshold has just gone through the roof. I want to latch onto that because that brings up a great point. Video games, modern video games, more than any other thing. So I'm going to say from Xbox 360 on, ultimately, more of them are designed to take over your life. So Grand Theft Auto 5 is a game that essentially is designed that you could play it for two years straight and nothing but that game. And having a shelf full of 1500 of those games 
is less appealing to me than a shelf full of games that are all a half hour to two hours long that I could reasonably, you know, beat a bunch of. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Uh, especially in the prevalence of like MMOs now, even Call of Duty. If like the people who play Call of Duty, if they look at the hours or days that they have involved in that game, uh, sure, yeah, people are are playing games. Probably, it's a weird curve, right? Because when someone sinks hours into a game, it's going to look like a lot more hours. But I think in general, maybe they spend less hours because I think people own more games, so they spend less hours with them overall. But then the they have like your Call of Duties and your Grand Theft Autos, which hit such a time spike that that could might as well be 100 games worth of time. Yeah. So um, one of the things I wanted to bring up, just moving back to um, the shovelware thing, and it occurs to me that back in the day, like Super Nintendo Day, shovelware, a lot of shovelware, like what we would consider that, were licensed games, like uh, where you licensed an IP. Those were the games where you're like, oh, that's probably a bad game. Like, eh, this, like, Wizard of Oz, Lord of the Rings. Like, someone probably just did bought the name and were, were relying on the name to sell it. And not that that still doesn't happen today, but I think now with big ITs, uh, IPs, I think people take a little more care with them and, like, try to tent pull them. And, like, where that, I saw that, like, kind of happen, um, where I remember was... Do you guys remember when the Matrix game came out and everyone like couldn't believe that a licensed game was that good and like people wanted to play the Matrix? I don't remember that at all. Yeah, so the Matrix, like Enter the Matrix was like a big deal and people wanted to play this game. That was like GameCube era, PS2, um, Xbox. So that but that was like a flip. And before, like I, I kind of remember looking at licensed properties and kind of put my nose up. At oh them. no, I definitely remember that. I think the first yeah. game I remember was Chronicles of Riddick: Escape from yep, Butcher that Bay. That was the one I was. Yeah, talk yeah. About. Chronicles of Riddick was one, and of that those was games like too. just a year or so after the Ma- entered the yeah. Matrix. So, well, and you you were seeing like articles at that time about that game too. You know, these review houses going like, "Oh my God, we were proven wrong. Licensed games can be good, <laughs> right?" And now I think you get like some big properties and now people are like, ooh, licensed games. Like, I don't think the stigma is there as much anymore, uh, but maybe that's just me. So we've had a nice kind of roundtable discussion about what we think is going on with game. Any other predictions on where collecting is moving? Because I, I think people hearing this are like, what is going on? Because this is a fairly nebulous episode where we're just talking about what we feel is happening and what we feel could happen as a result of those things. Um, so you guys have any more thoughts you want to throw at this? I started collecting Wii games, which are essentially free. Uh, there was a GameStop sale where 900 Wii games were 250 because it was like, you know, f- four for 10. And I started, I bought dozens of Wii games and I got burnt out on the shovelware and I physically ran out of room. And I, I will say video games have taken over a very large amount of my life. Uh, so how I feel about collecting the Wii library, where that's that's the straw that broke me, is the Wii library. I can't do it. There's too much crap. I feel like that's how the majority of people, especially like newer generations growing up in, in smaller houses, not owning as many things, that's how they feel about collecting video game sets. They're just like, why would you want to own all of the bad stuff just to have it all there? Yeah, I, I can agree to that. <laughs> I think that's going to be true. Anything else you want to say on that? Any other hardcore points you want to throw at this? I know you have some stuff in your notes you didn't quite get to. No, no, I mean, that that's pretty much it. Um, I, I think 
the value of cart only sets will be kind of going down as we shift towards the the expensive stuff really being the things that people want because of things like limited space. So the value of my cartridge set is that I could take a game off the shelf and play it whenever I want. That's great, especially for the things that anyone would ever actually want to play. There's going to be, as time goes on in the future, just every option between piracy, between mini consoles, between re-releases, between compilation discs, between compilation discs that have a part one on the disc and part two on the DLC code that nobody likes. Just like comic reprints, the value of just having the cartridge is not going to be you know, it's the reader's value is having the cartridge and the collectible value is having the packaging, I think probably in the future. Right. Yeah. I agree. Stefan, what do you got? I, you want to talk about what keeps me up at night? Sure. Uh, I am curious to see how, because like we were saying this, this new vector of importance becoming more and more of a factor and as that continues to grow and sort of take over the drive for collecting i wonder how that's going to move into or if it will start to move into my neighborhood of collecting um which is you know things that of historical value that are not necessarily games like right now i'm you know as much as i talk about it on this podcast and plaster it all over instagram you know, I am part of a, a fairly niche community that goes for items of historical value to the industry that are not games, like my uh, you know game pack, my gameplay counselor stuff. Like, I I wonder if as these people continue to progress and you know eventually get bored, look for other things of quote unquote importance to collect of whether or not I'm going to see an influx of people collecting uh, historically important non-game items. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's, do you think, are you actually worried? What do you think will happen? Do you think I mean, that's going to happen or I, do you just I think? Do, I do find myself pulling triggers on things or, 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 feeling a need to uh hurry up and find things uh before other people get interested like and um because two when you're talking about the things that you know the the non-game stuff that is genuinely rare it is way more rare than on on a on a general level than any production game right like any display generally any display sign or display piece or any um you know internal nintendo employee item is going to be factors and factors more rare than any uh game that had a a full production run of 10,000 right of so so if if you then have these if you have the same or a, a relatively similar number of collectors with big money coming into a hobby that cannot sustain that kind of demand, like I'm just concerned that all of a sudden my, you know, thousand dollar statues are going to become $10,000 statues. Oh, you're so concerned about that. No, but like as far as continuing to find things, yeah. right? Because the, because that avenue of collecting is still relatively unmapped and so it's not like i can scramble 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 okay i have everything i can relax right that's not i'm still finding things i've never seen can't find on the internet all the time and uh and so i'm i'm just 
I'm concerned that this is going to eventually bring too much attention to that and it's going to hurt me. So well, I, I can't I think even you have think time. Of... Go ahead, Johnny. I was going to say, I think I just said, I think you've got time, Stefan. I think you're sure. going to be all right. If we have people getting into like Super Mario Brothers 3, like that is literally square one of collecting video games. I can't even think of a parallel to like video game ephemera in another thing. We always try to make these comic parallels because everyone's making these comic parallels. But what what would be another thing like collecting internal Nintendo items? I mean, you could probably liken it to and it's One not sheet. it's it's not a similar parallel, but but production pieces from um from uh comic books or, you know, um uh, original art certainly would be a would be probably the closest common commonly known parallel. I feel like last episode we kind of gave heritage for comparing prototypes to original art because we're like art is art and this is kind of its own weird thing, right? But I'm just saying as as something that was involved in the production of this product, right? Like that's yeah. there's only so much with a with a drawn medium. You are only, you only have so many things that are involved in the production of a product. But like so. there is not like because you have like this weird stuff. Like, it, it, are there comic collectors out there? Like, oh, I, I bought the uh, I got this guy's ten year award for being at Marvel for ten years, and uh, here's three of Stan Lee's pencils. Like, is that a thing that that comic book collectors is there a subset like that has notebook. that kind of stuff yeah. yeah like oh this was I definitely mean, his coffee cup from uh, 1966 to 19 i mean there are artists that you there are artists that you see that with but like i would i would reference walt disney as being probably the most prevalent but that's obviously a, a extreme example like walt walt disney ephemera is well very, just you know, disney disney ephemera that's its own crazy thing that's actually sure. a pretty good parallel because people buy disney anything so one of the one of the most interesting trends uh, that I think in game collecting, which is why I think you're safe, at least somewhat safe, is that uh, Nintendo M82, uh, when I was collecting, because I bought one in 2006 or 2007, I think, and it was right around $2,000. And if you buy an M82 today, they sure haven't got any easier to find. It's worth like $2,500. And uh, an M8, I always thought was cooler than an M82 because it has the games built in. Uh, there's been one sitting on eBay for $3,500, and that has been there forever. And I am just noticing now that uh, our friend Excitebyte Games is the guy who has that listed. Um, but We'll hit him up. So, like, signs have gone crazy because a sign display, like a freaking uh, fiber optic sign displays super well in a game collection. Even a set of Game Counselor binders, literally the coolest piece of Nintendo ephemera I think you can own, it's binders on a shelf. So I think the display value of your crazy weird stuff is more limited. At least if I was a normal person collector, which I am, I might get a World of Nintendo sign one day. I won't now because of the prices, but I will never get a Mario statue that everyone will look at and not know what it is immediately because... The appeal of it would be aesthetic to me. I will say that the uh, also the value of original cover art has skyrocketed in games. I don't know if you guys caught that, but the the owner of the um, of the NWC cart that recently sold for forty two thousand dollars sold for that because he sold a what is it the um, the Street Fighter Two Turbo 
yeah. uh, cover art for $154,000. Yeah. That thing is, that is like huge though. That's like, uh, it's like six feet tall. I don't know. I just remember seeing it and thinking that it's, it's really huge art. Not that, you know, $150,000. That's a uh, quite a bit of money. That's crazy. I mean, art, art really blends over into like the actual, actual high end collecting world. Oh yeah. So what are you going to do? We're, about we're never going to touch art collectors. That's just the bottom line. You look at heritage, like their highlighted things are like the Frank, whatever's a, uh, that sold for $5.6 million. It's like, oh, it looks like a nice fantasy painting. Well, and there's um, there's like crossover too with video games and art collectors in unexpected ways because of licensed opportunities, right? So like, for instance, I know the cover for Eye of the Beholder went for something ridiculous to a guy who collects D&D art, right? He, doesn't, he didn't care that it was a... Uh, you know, a Super Nintendo cover. He cared that it was a D&D piece, right? And so I could see also, like, things like, obviously, the Disney Afternoon games. Like, I'm sure those covers uh, would trade substantially, you know, more because oh, it God. was... Oh, God, Disney collectors you know, getting involved in that? Ew. Yeah, right. Like, you know, DuckTales is going to be driven by the fact that it's DuckTales, not necessarily that it's the NES, you know, game DuckTales. Boris Vallejo, Really big fantasy artist. He did a lot of Sega art. He did like uh, Fantasy Star 4 and Echo and Star Control. That art stuff, I yeah. don't know anything about, but man, you guys. But yeah, the, the, only reason, the only reason why I brought it up in the first place was just that, you know, we've been talking this whole episode about, you know, things that, you know, the, the importance vector coming in now super strongly and, uh, and just... I'm, I'm just curious as to like when you're talking about things that are historically revel- uh, relevant and in extremely low numbers, or in some cases one of one, um, how those values will be affected by this new nouveau collector. What's one of one? Because I'm going to debate your historically relevant thing for a thing that's one of one. We just spent like 10 minutes talking about yeah, painted pr- covers. Yeah, pa- yeah painted cover. I'm going to cut all this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Anytime you're, you're, you, anytime you're dumb, you have to leave it in. <laughs> no. All right. It's so, the best so part about editing. Any- I can cut out whatever I want. <laughs> all right, guys. Do we have anything else on this that we want to touch on? Or shall we move to the next part of the show? We can move on. I think right. this was a fine, rambly discussion about some things maybe people want to hear about. Uh, well, I think it's an interesting thought exercise, and that's why I want people to hear it. Not that we were making, like, laying out A to B to C, but more of, here is, we are three collectors, we have something that's on our mind that is obviously probably on everyone else's mind, here's how we talk through the discussion as well. Maybe that would have been a good way to lead this episode in, <laughs> saying that that's what we were going to do. Maybe put that up front, Tyler. <laughs> no, I'm going to yeah. put the 15 minutes that we recorded and then dumped up front, just so people know how much better it was this time. Uh, yeah, I think we weren't the strongest on cohesion this time around, but I think we had a bunch of really interesting set pieces. We said some things. There wasn't a, an overall point like set collecting is dead to the whole episode, but you know, we talked about no, stuff. I, no, this was this was a discussion episode. That's why I'm, we wanted to see how explore our feelings based on the current state of everything. Because we said, here's what happened, but then how do we actually feel? Like what are what are we now concerned about beyond all of that? What what is that doing to our mindset? And we made a whole episode out of basically the things that we forgot we wanted to talk about last time. So I think we did pretty good. 
Yeah. All right. You guys tell uh, us, do you like this better? Or do you like when we're like, what are six Halloween variants on the PlayStation 1 from 1995? Do not bring up... The Halloween stuff is going to be there whether they like it or not. So don't... <laughs> So don't I'm you sorry. put them in there like, oh, maybe that could be a choice. Because that's not... You signed up. You saw the contract. You knew we were doing Halloween episodes. You signed in anyways. Oh, man. Every year, three different topics about Halloween games. Should be four, yeah. but we'll never come up with four. So I'm just saying three. Well, we usually don't have time. For, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's my birthday. It, it's... Uh, my busiest time at work there's like a whole bunch of things going on in the middle of october as well as halloween and like 10 other birthdays that make that hard the fact that we do three is pretty good anyways tower start working on a fourth topic we can record those in september i don't have one topic i've been on this show what a year and i'm already out of halloween over a year this is all you you're right i have been on over a year because if i go back in my instagram feed it's older than a year and i know instagram is equivalent to whenever i started this show all right, there you go. You have a good marker. People like the Halloween episodes, and if you don't, lie to me, uh, because they're happening anyways, and we might as well just buckle in and know that we're in this together. We need All to right, have a whole we'll show about Nightmare Basketball, or can't Basketball wait. Nightmare, whatever it is. Yeah, can't wait. Um, All right, guys, second part of the show, probably a pretty quick wrap-up. What are you buying? What are you playing? Tyler, not Stefan. Uh, well, Johnny, uh, I got a mint-sealed copy of Defender of the Crown because uh, it's part of the Ultra Game set on NES, and I know that people are going to go after those Ultra Games. It's going to skyrocket in value. Fun fact on that, Beam Software developed it, and Pico Interactive bought the Beam Software catalog, so Defender of the Crown might get a retro re-release from Pico Software, which spikes interest in Ultra Games, in Defender of the Crown. It's a great spec pick, and I'm going to be rich. Okay. That's a total lie. I did not buy Defender of the Crown. Um, oh. I got... I was say, it's got nice art. Uh, I don't even like the art on it. I don't even know what kind of game it is. I don't know anything about Defender of the Crown. You defend crowns. Oh, what do you mean now? Yeah. On a horse, you're a knight who defends crowns. With the, um, yes, you've seen you, the box art. Wow. Yeah, cool. Uh, what did you actually buy? Now you're just wasting people's time. Uh, well, we gotta have long shows. People put us on as background noise. I'm sorry. People don't listen to us for the... Uh, for just streams of numbers and information. But I bought uh, a Magnavox Odyssey. I bought a, a pretty nice 100% complete Magnavox Odyssey. Uh, the first print of video games. It, it's not a first print Odyssey. There's actually two different production runs of Odysseys. But that's cool, right? Nope. Right. Uh, what do you... Nope. <laughs> the other, the other <laughs> big thing I bought is I got a, a sealed copy of Super Mario 64, which I'm pretty excited about. I like That's Super exciting. Mario 64 a whole lot. It's my second favorite game ever. All right. I'm pretty medium on it. And that's, uh, of course, one of those things that I'm buying because uh, I want to get all of my favorite stuff ever out of the way before anyone decides that is worth anything ever. I don't I don't know what I've been playing. Have I, I might not have oh, been playing. Still Borderlands? Ga- uh, no, I beat that. I usually talk about games after I beat them. Oh, okay. I also meant to make, made, make fun of you last time when you said that you were playing a modern game and then said Borderlands. It is a modern game. It came out like, what, 2009? It's a modern game. Anything after yeah, 2000. Only a decade ago. Only a decade ago. <laughs> we're talking, you know, it's comic terms. Anything that, that's like hard and physical that people won't throw away, that's a modern game. So it came out. All right. <laughs> 
No, uh, Ada's family's here for the entire week, so I've been playing uh, Mahjong at the kitchen table. Oh, nice. Yeah, Mahjong for the NES? <laughs> I, I wish. Uh, I told her to look for it. I gave her a picture of it. I'm like, hey, send this to all your friends and relatives, and they need to find me Mahjong. Only came out in Hong Kong, so you're the only person who could find it for me. I'm sorry you didn't have that happen for you, Tyler. Now, moving on. Stefan, tell him, yeah. tell him us, talk about something better than an Odyssey. Okay. I think I can announce this. Um, so I have been working <laughs> with guy. <laughs> um, Frank Cifaldi of the Video Game History Foundation, um, who runs the uh, museum space at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Again, I th- I'm pretty sure we confirmed it today that uh, I will be uh, contributing to the display this year. I am going to be creating a one-to-one recreation or as close as I can get to it of a Nintendo Gameplay Counselor cubicle. Um, and Are you so, going to sit in that cubicle wearing one of those horrible jackets? Oh my god! Uh, only, only interstitially. You know, every once in a while, it'll be like I'll, I'll be on a, like a schedule. You know, sort of like uh, like Disneyland. You know, the actors will like come walking through every once in a while. I'll just come through and take a take a fake phone call. No, um, but uh, so that has really been influencing all my buying habits. So I've been buying things like I found a correct model of television, um, the correct Trinitron for the uh the cubicle and the correct phone and the correct calendar that they all that they provided the employees with so i've really really been dialing in my goal is for a gameplay counselor to look at a photo of the space and not know the difference which uh no they're gonna know that they're at the portland retro gaming expo well you know what i mean (laughs) if you crop it if you crop it tyler (laughs) if you if you crop the photo and and Ooh. like put a filter put an instagram filter on it um but uh yeah so that's really been uh influencing my buying habits i haven't you know been buying much else outside of that because i really want to again just dial it in um the only thing i haven't really bought so far is the actual cubicle i'm still trying to find one that's similar but uh those are things that corporations just didn't um keep and unfortunately the building in which the gameplay counselors were housed at at nintendo and redmond uh, was demolished several years ago so all of that's gone as far as what kind of of telephone is it uh it is a uh the model is 3010 what is it a uh, aspect 3010 aspect how much did you spend on it i really hope this isn't like an embarrassing question (laughs) <laughs> no, it's like like forty bucks. Like it would be uh, it, it, when I'm buying stuff like that. What how much I pay for it really is reflected in whether or not I actually get it from a gameplay counselor. Like for instance, the the Game Boy, Super Nintendo, and NES that I uh, am going to have in the space is act what were actually used in gameplay counselor cubicles. So they're they're genuinely from. Uh, that space and that time yeah but i'm saying like if you spent like 250 dollars on a phone just to recreate this cubicle i would be embarrassed for you no 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 the those 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 i think i paid like 40 dollars for all right and that was like i was like a buy it now buy 40 of them now and start putting them up on ebay as nintendo gameplay counselor phones this is the speculation we need to get into stefan we need to (laughs) make a youtube video about it be like this is the phone they actually use these i'm telling you all right, keep going. Uh, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Um, there, there also may be an associated panel. Um, I'm still working out details with the show. It, it would be obviously much more cost prohibitive because I'd have to be flying people in. But so, but at least I, I think we've confirmed that I'll, I'll have a display at Portland, and and that's what I've been buying stuff for that. Uh, what I've been playing, um, I think a lot of you know that I 
work in mobile games and I work primarily with Facebook. So the kind people at Facebook were uh, kind enough to provide me with an Oculus Quest. So I have been playing a lot of that, specifically a game called Moss, which is an awesome uh, action platformer. You control a little mouse and who is who is very uh, aware that you are present. And so it's like a it's like a team action adventure uh, game for the Oculus Quest. And I've been enjoying that very, very much. Have you played uh, a Vive? I have not. No, the um, the Oculus Quest is my first like VR experience that I own. Have you played like a, an Oculus Rift at someone else's house? So how does it compare to like real VR, quote unquote? um the visual fidelity is definitely lower right because you you obviously not it's not being driven by a four thousand dollar pc it's being driven by a essentially a mobile phone um so like texture quality resolution that kind of stuff is obviously lower um but not at the sacrifice of of like frame rate like so i was actually looking at because i was curious too and i was looking at footage of games on the quest uh, with side by side comparisons with the same game, same footage on the on the Rift, and yes, there is you know the 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 texture quality is vastly superior, but they were both like frame for frame, they were keeping pace with each other. So, um, and I don't think, especially because with VR you are so wrapped up in the whole like VR magic, quote unquote. I don't know how important things like texture quality is. To the to the VR experience, um, especially for someone who who it's it's like their first VR experience. It sounds like I've always I kind of always dismissed VR like I'm waiting for the next big thing in games, guys. It's not VR, but then here's VR. It's the only thing in the gaming industry where they're like everything needs to be 90 FPS or else everyone's just gonna throw up. So right. Man, because I'd rather play like N64 games at 60 frames a second than anything today in 4K at 30. I should be playing VR games. Yeah, you should yeah, get it's on. Fun. Yeah, I, I went to a VR arcade a couple of weeks ago. That sounds great uh, for a for a half hour. Uh, I paid for a half hour's time to go in and try some games. I will also say that on something like the Rift, um, you are acutely aware, at least I am, that you are connected to something. Where the 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 quest for people who don't know what the Oculus Quest is, it's basically a um, a VR uh, solution where everything is contained within the visor. So well, you also have uh, wireless controllers, but uh, so there there's not a single wire on the device, and so you're like quote unquote free. Like it's 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 closer to the promise of VR because you you are not inhibited by being physically attached to something and you don't have the acute awareness that you are physically attached to something. Um, so you get more of that like holodeck feel because you have so much more mobility. Um, so I, I mean, I think the quest is, is awesome. Having a cable is garbage. Don't spend $1,000 on a Vive, guys. It is not the future. Not having cables is the future. So I might be on board on the quest train. I don't know yet. Yep. All right. Uh, me, what did I play? I actually have played zero things since our last episode, sadly. So sorry, guys. Self collector. Yeah, that's uh, fine. <laughs> that, that's me. Uh, um, I just, my wife has had a weird schedule the last couple of weeks. So my night hours have been watching my, my uh, six month old son. So, 
not a lot of video game playing going on when I'm holding the baby. Uh, and from 6 p.m. to 9.30 p.m., he pretty much needs to be held the whole time until he falls asleep. So that's the world I live in. Um, so no games. I, I bought some PlayStation games. Nothing exciting. Like, I didn't buy anything of, like, super, super high value or note. I, I'm back looking at that PlayStation set saying, nah, I got to start fixing that and filling it out. So just chipping away. I bought, like, 10 games today. How many PlayStation of games do you have? Is 10 games, like, good job, or are you at, like, 500? <laughs> no, I'm at over 1,000. Oh, well, I don't even know how many there are. About 1,200. All right. Hey, 10 games. That's 10 games. Johnny, I heard some cool guy bought you a PlayStation game this week. Oh, yeah. That's... I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Yes. Uh, thank you to Stefan. Stefan hooked me up. He was that game dude, and I threw out, like, the random game that I still need, which is um, International Super Soccer Pro 98, and uh, randomly, the game shop that we go to called Game Dude had a copy and uh, Stefan got it for me for like 40 bucks rather than like the 70 it is online. So that was cool. That's actually, that was like the big hitter on my PlayStation list. I right. totally forgot. I forgot because I don't actually have it in my hands yet because I haven't driven over to your house. Uh, I'm there- going to do that. And I'm also going to drop those prototypes off and you nice. can uh, make videos and tell the internet about them. Yeah, there was also, a clear. There was a clerical error with that game, like that was listed as like fifty nine on their paper sheets because Game Dude has paper sheets that they update every so often, and so it was listed at, at fifty nine. And but in the computer, it was uh, thirty nine. So we got a pretty solid deal. Yeah, that was great. Really happy about that. It sure. It definitely sounds like a game that you would get super late into collecting the set. Freaking it, soccer it, games. I hate buying soccer games. <laughs> I hate buying them. Um, I've got some very specific stuff I'm after right now on PlayStation. I've, like, pretty much, like, I don't have too many big things left. It's a bunch of, like, weird middle filler stuff that's hard to spend $20 on because you just look at it and you're like, God, who cares? Uh, me, because I want a complete set. That's who. But I have to make myself spend money on it. If there was a big Turbo Graphics game or something, I could go spend probably more than it would cost me to finish my set. Like, if a reasonable magical chase came up. I'd just be like, oh, I'm just going to buy that. And then be like, man, how am I ever going to justify finishing off this PlayStation set when, like, there's two games for Turbo Graphics I still need that would probably cost as much as uh, finishing the set. Anyways, Don't that's what I bought. Sets, Johnny. That seems like a solution to all your problems is just not collecting uh, sets. I'm already down this road. I'm, you know, going to die <laughs> die at, at the wheel here i'm you know i'm going down with the ship set collecting for life no i it's like one of the last sets i'll ever do so um the, i think the last out. sets you'll ever do playstation one of the biggest sets in a world where you already have every nintendo and every sega set okay i do i do feel that way about saturn like it's that i'm like 70 games away and i'm just like so fatigued that's actually sort of what spiraled me out into i was i was super fatigued with saturn and sort of meandered over and did all this crazy shit I've been doing because I was just so tired of that set. Uh, and, you know, because it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm missing 70 games, but that, like, represents, like, $8,000. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah, see, and for me, it's like, oh, I'm missing, like, 150 games, and they're all, like, $10. So, you know, 10 to $20. Probably $2,000 finishes the set. Well, that, that you've got that kind of same similar fatigue with um, Wii, right? Like you were going pretty oh, strong. Oh, I, I stopped. Like... Yeah, I stopped with Wii. I just couldn't. 
I couldn't anymore when when people are like, oh, you see this, uh, uh, what was it, winter blast and, and summer blast games or some stupid shit. And like, yeah, it's like $250. And I was just like, I don't fucking think so. No, that's not happening. Mental I'm not, Academy, I bro. Yeah, I just won't. I did wind up getting Mensa Academy, but I think I got it for like $50. So I was like, fine. But uh, even that feels bad now. And now they're in boxes in my garage. Hey. Oh, and I have so Shout many Shout out if you boxes. have like an actual Wii collection on display. Uh, Nintendo Twizer sold his, right? I don't know if it sold, did it? Oh, I, I don't know. He wants to sell his. He's like, I'm done with this. I'm out. That's the one that's like been on eBay for a while, right? Oh, is it on uh, eBay? Yeah. Okay. And Retro Thunder has one. I get those two confused all the time, so that's why I didn't mention Retro Thunder. Yeah. Retro Thunder has a big beard. Yes. And that's how you'll know him. He and takes pictures of things floating. Yeah, he, he does nice photography. Uh, Nintendo Twizer, Aaron, uh, is he also takes nice photos, but he's a little less um, committed to the process than Retro Thunder. That's not a bash on Aaron. Just most people aren't that committed to the process on Instagram. So kudos to Retro Thunder for always taking cool pics. Although I think my, uh, my favorite person who takes pictures of things that float uh, would have to be uh, Super Sparkster, our buddy. Oh yeah, Super Sparks are also very committed to the process. Um, very good photos. Those uh, are guys so, you should just follow just to to look at them. Look so at their the photos. for the record, the complete uh, Nintendo Wii set of over one thousand two hundred and seventy games plus more is still on eBay currently. A buy it now of seventeen thousand nine hundred and fifty dollars. There's more PlayStation well games than Wii games, man. PlayStation's crazy. No more Wii games. Oh, there's more Wii games. Okay, good. Yeah, I think so. They're they're very. I think. Oh, man, I have to check my list. I don't remember the exact number. We're really good at set collecting here, guys. Yeah, well, that's what, when you have that many games in a, in a set, when it's just over $1,200 or 1,200 games, you just better have a list and just be like, yep, this is the list I use, and that's all I do. And then there's like 180 or something, 167 for player's choice, which I have to decide if I'm going to complete that subset of it. And then there's like... No, player's choice is a nightmare. Don't... You could do uh, you could do jewel case games of long box games, and maybe that's a thing you should look at. Johnny, just stop. Uh, yeah, I know. We got to end this episode. <laughs> I don't want to edit another two-hour show. This was supposed to be a short one. Well, I can't help it that you guys won't shut up. All right, guys, that's it for the show. Hey, Stefan, where can we find you? Uh, Instagram and YouTube and sometimes Nintendo Age. Archon1981. Hey. A-R-C-H-O-N 1981. And tell them uh, some new stuff you just did, because you've put up a couple new videos. Tell them about them. Uh, yeah, my most recent video, I actually... So, a friend of my... Oh, that's another thing that I bought. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, I was approached by another uh, fellow collector who had bought out the physical archive, or rather the physical copies of the digital archive of Sierra Online. And that contained, uh, I mean, he has, he's, dude's got tons of stuff now. He's got like source code for the Dreamcast version of Half-Life and crazy stuff. But the stuff that I was interested in uh, was the source code for The Realm, which was a MMO that I played in junior high. It's one of the first graphical MMOs. Um, but within that source code, as I was trolling through it, I found um, a couple uh, trailers, like production trailers for games that were never released. 
Um, and so uh, I the first one, uh, which was called Phantom Hunters, it's actually called Phantom Hunters on In, but In is just a reference to the uh, Sierra's uh, online network, the proprietary online network. So uh, Phantom Hunters is the first one that I've put up. Uh, the next one is a game called Metal Warriors 3000. Um, and that should be up in the next few days. But uh, but yeah, you know, I, I really try to put up videos on stuff that people have never seen before or seldom seen. And so anytime I find something that's actually unreleased, I get really excited. And I put that video together at three in the morning because I was really excited. Um, so uh, but yeah, um, that's that's the the newest uh, video on YouTube. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. That is cool. I would take yeah, the source I, code to RuneScape, the first MMO I ever played. I would take the source code to City of Heroes. No, Stop. I don't actually care about that. Good. I'm just playing City of Heroes. I can't wait. I've got time to uh, actually play that this weekend. I'm going to. It's going to be great. No one? No, no one else wants no, to play what? City of Heroes? Why it. won't you guys come play City of Heroes with me? <laughs> it's not fun to talk about MMOs with people who don't play the same MMO. That is just a truism. <laughs> Yeah, but so why don't you just come play with me and then we can talk about it? I don't have time, Johnny. I played nothing this week. I'm always someone who has something I played, and you're always like, "Well, you know, we're getting we're getting dangerously close to the depressing mood that started out before we had to scrap it." Tyler, where you can, can they find, find me? You? All those same places. I'm default gen, default gen. And you can find me at Johnny underscore IUC. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y underscore I-U-C-C-I. Thank you for listening. Let us know if you like these kind of roundtable discussions. Or was it too uh, nebulous and blobby for you? And you said, give me more structure. I don't, I need bones, not jello. That's what I want. Um, let us know. Anyways, that's it for the show. Thanks. Bye.